for you. Have you ever seen the show, old show, but it was super fun when it was on. My parents and I watched it together. It was called The Apprentice. You remember The Apprentice? That was before Donald Trump was Donald Trump who he is today, but but that was one of the funnest shows because what they would do was they bring in all these different business people uh, that were high caliber people and they would compete against each other, whether they were creating a marketing plan or a new product they were going to put out there or whatever it was, uh, they would have some task and they'd have two teams that would compete against each other. Now, there was two different types of teams. There was the book smart team and there was the street smart team. Okay, so the book smart team were highly educated, very academic, and had all of that history in their experience. But then the street smart team were people who just kind of built themselves from the ground up. They, a lot of them started in sales, and then they kind of built their company that way without the education side. So it was always interesting to see them compete against each other and to see the different strengths of the different teams because they all had unique strengths. The book smart people knew about things that the street smart people didn't know. And the street smart people had certain skills and talents, social skills that worked to their advantage. And so it was so much fun to watch them go back and forth. But what you realized as you watched the show is that you need both. It's good to have both, to have the book and to have the knowledge and the understanding and then also to have the experience out there hands-on, right? And so if you just had all knowledge, like book smart, like you were you just fresh out of college with no experience, um, it would be hard to get people to hire you, right? If you had no experience, like people want to know that you've been in there, whether like a mechanic, for instance, if you came out of mechanic school and you've never actually worked on a car, then you might not get hired, right? But you know it all here, but you need that hands-on. Or you can have only experience, but if you don't have the education, then you can be experienced at doing something the wrong way. Am I right? So that's what they tell you in golf. Like if you play golf and you're like, okay, then an instructor will tell you, okay, we are going to completely destroy your swing and start from the ground up because you've learned how to do it the wrong way. So you'll never be great. You'll just be good. You need to start from scratch. So you need both. You need the, the knowledge and you need the experience. And I believe the same is, is true in our walk with Christ. We need both knowledge and experience. If all we have in our relationship with God is books and study and scripture and classes, but no experience of the presence of God, there's so much that we're missing. And vice versa, if all we base our relationship with God on is experience only, and we don't have the word of God, then we can get real flaky real fast, right? So we need both knowledge and experience. It's not either or, but both and. And this is my wife's favorite word. And so the title of my message today is both. 
both. And that is my wife's favorite word. She'll tell you all the time. If we're trying to decide what we're going to do, hey, do you want to go see a movie? Do you want to get dinner? And then she'll say both, both right? <laughs> That's her favorite. So um, we're going to continue in our series this morning, walking through the book of Ephesians. Last week, we talked about the beginning of Ephesians chapter 3, but we talked about how God is building us together as a dwelling place for his spirit. But what's so cool about that is it's we as the church, the body of Christ, are being built together, fit together, so that the Spirit of God can make this house a home. And that's what we want, amen? We want the presence of God in the church, not just the stuff. We don't want to be a storage place for God's stuff. We want to be his home where he can dwell and the presence of God can be here among us where two or three are gathered there is he. And so, like I say before, the presence of God is here. Right now in this moment, the spirit of God is here. Man, that is so exciting that we get to be in his presence, experiencing him in an intimate way. So we talked about how God's built us together as a dwelling place, but then Paul goes on in this next passage and talks about our personal encounter with Jesus and our knowledge of him and that he wants us to have a personal home that Christ would make his home in our hearts individually so the spirit of God is making his home within the body of Christ united together right with Jesus as the cornerstone but then the spirit of God also wants to make his home in our hearts which is super exciting so let's look in verse 14 of Ephesians 3, this is where we're starting off today. It says, for this reason, I kneel before, I kneel, I just, I am kneel, and that was funny. <laughs> okay, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray. We see this here again. We saw this in chapter one, right? Paul made a prayer, an apostolic prayer. We're seeing another apostolic prayer in chapter three. So this is another thing that we as believers can pray over one another. That's exciting. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, which we understood before that that's the grace of God, the riches of his grace, out of his glorious riches, he Jesus may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell, there it is, in your hearts through faith. So he prays that God would strengthen you so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this can't be salvation he's talking about because he's talking to believers. We need Jesus to make his home in our hearts, right? Just like the church. And so we want to be a place where the spirit of God can be comfortable within us and at home. And we invite him into that place. So how, how do we make our hearts a home for Jesus? Well, here in this passage, it's ultimately by the grace of God, the riches of his grace, through faith, by grace through faith, just like everything we receive in God's kingdom, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
But more specifically in John 15, Jesus talks about this idea of remaining and abiding. There's different translations there, but to abide and to remain. Us in him and he in us. In John 15, verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Christ makes his home in our hearts when we remain in his love because we're like sponges. So we're just going to soak up whatever it is that we surround ourselves with. Whatever we find ourselves in context, that's what we're going to soak up. That's just how we function, right? That's why the Bible says that bad company corrupts good morals. Because whatever we, whatever environment we place ourselves, we're going to naturally kind of soak that in. And if we are placing ourselves in the presence of God and in his love, then we're going to soak that up. And that's how Christ begins to dwell in our hearts through faith. And this, this is why Paul goes on to pray these two more requests. So he says, first, that you might have strength so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then the second thing he prays here, we'll pick it up in verse 17 and says, and I pray again that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Man, filled to the full with God, all the fullness of God. So he prays two things here. One, he says, I pray that you may have power to grasp, to grasp the full measure of Christ's love. Height, length, breadth, depth. The prayer is that we may have power to grasp the full measure of Christ's love. And the second thing he prays is that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge. That we know something that surpasses knowledge. For what reason? He says, so that, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Or in other words, you could say, so that Christ in the fullness of who he is may dwell in your hearts. You be filled with the fullness of who God is. Christ dwelling in your heart. So it begins with that prayer that God would strengthen you so Christ can dwell in your heart. And then it ends that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then in between, he gives us, I believe, how, that, how we make that possible and how we invite God in. Two things, being filled with the fullness of God. Okay, so let's look at number one, grasping the full measure of Christ's love grasping 
the full measure of Christ's love. That word grasp in the Greek has three different senses in the Bible. It means to take, receive, and fully understand. Um, One, to receive, is simply just take in what's being offered, like just receiving a gift or anything else. Someone's offering something to you, and then you just take it in. You take ownership of it. Okay, so that's one. The other sense in the Bible is to actively seize or lay hold of, to like grab, to grasp, to take, right? So there's that. And then the other one is to fully understand. I think all three are true in this passage. That God wants us to first fully understand the full measure of Christ's love. Fully understand the full measure of Christ's love and then take hold or seize what God is offering us freely. He's freely offering his love in his presence. And then it takes us seizing that, what he is offering to us, taking ownership. And so fully understanding and then owning that which God is offering us, the full measure of his love. So let's start with understanding. We're going to look at a few measurements of the love of God. There's many, as you can imagine. Many, many measurements to God's love. But let's look at a few examples of what God's love looks like in real time. So the best description of the love of God, as you probably know, is what chapter of the Bible? What's, what's the chapter of the love chapters? Everyone, anyone know? Boom. You guys know your Bible. That's us. 1 Corinthians 13. You, you've probably heard it at weddings and all sorts of different places. Okay, let's look at it. Verse 4 through 8. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. Now, that sounds awesome, but it's kind of an abstract idea because, like, love is kind. Okay, so kind, okay, doesn't envy. Okay, so shouldn't envy, right? But the cool thing is we have a living example, an illustration of what that love looks like in relationship, in someone's life, in Jesus, right? He's the visible image of the invisible God. So we get to take a look at what God's love actually looks like in context of human experience. We look at the life of Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Jesus' life and see that love exemplified that we find in 1 Corinthians 13. So we're going to look at 13 attributes. You're like, oh, how long is this message? It's only three hours. Don't worry. 13 attributes, no, we'll go through it quick. 13 attributes of God's love from 1 Corinthians 13. So the 13 from 13, all right? This is the list. Now, if you guys are taking notes, you're like, how am I gonna do this? You're getting nervous? It's okay. We're gonna, we're gonna have these available to you after service, okay? So you can take them home. You don't have to write really fast or anything like that. No pressure. Everyone breathe, okay, okay. All right, all right. Number one. Love, God's love, patience with imperfect people. God is patient with imperfect people. 
You see this in the life of Jesus. Man, he had some patience with his disciples. <laughs> they were rough. They were a rough crew. Asking him, asking him, hey, can we call down fire on these people and destroy them? Jesus is like, no, we can't. That's not love, you know. Or Peter, you know, sticking his foot in his mouth a million times over. Or Jesus telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And they're like, I don't get it. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. He told them three different times and they still didn't get it. After he died on the cross, they went back to fishing again. But Jesus shows up on the shore, cooks them a little breakfast. <laughs> he has patience with imperfect people. And that's true for us. He has patience with our imperfections. Number two, he's active in doing good. Active in doing good. Like the water being turned to wine at the wedding. Jesus didn't need that to be the first miracle that he did. I mean, he's, he knew he was going to raise people from the dead and cleanse lepers and cast out demons. He's going to do a lot of stuff. He didn't have to turn water into wine. But he did an act of kindness, right? He did that. And then he fed 5,000. And then he fed 4,000, right? And so Jesus was active in doing good. Number three, he desires others to get ahead. He desires other people. If anyone could say, yeah, I'm first place. Of course, Jesus could say that. But what does he do? He tells his disciples, hey, you see all these amazing works I'm doing? Greater works than these shall you do. Just like a parent, when we're, we are excited to see our kids kind of surpass us and do greater than us, where do you think we get that from? We get that from God. Number four, he was self-effacing, not ostentatious. Jesus was a man of no reputation. And when people would say, hey, good teacher, he's like, why do you call me good? There's only one that is good. That is the father. And when the people tried to make him king by force, he's like, no, ain't having any of that. He snuck out and he like found his way through the crowd. He like disappeared. The Bible says it's crazy. He's like, uh, no, he's gone. So Jesus, he was humble. His love was humble. Uh, doesn't, uh, number five, he doesn't treat others arrogantly. He came to serve, right? He said, I came not to serve, be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the king of the world, king of the universe, took a towel around his waist, filled a basin with water, and took the position of the lowest servant, got down on his knees, and he washed his disciples' feet. This is the picture of the love of God. And he says, now you've seen me do it, do this to each other. Number six, he displays manners, courtesy, empathy. Think about Mary when Lazarus died. Martha and Mary, who's their brother, Jesus comes. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, okay? So he's, he's coming for that purpose. But they're weeping, and they're mourning the loss of their brother. What does Jesus do? The Bible says that he wept. He had empathy and compassion, even in that moment, feeling what they were feeling, knowing he was going to raise him from the dead. He still wept with them. We have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses because he himself was a man. It's the love of God. Number seven, he isn't irritable but graceful under pressure. Look at Jesus when they were falsely accusing him. 
right? And, and, and saying he was guilty of all these different things that he didn't do. The Bible says in, in Isaiah 53, it says, like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Pilate even said, aren't you going to defend yourself against all their accusations? Jesus was like, Graceful, under pressure. Number eight. I'm trying to keep track of the numbers. He doesn't keep an account of wrongs. He erases all resentments. He doesn't keep an account of wrongs. Just picture the cross of Jesus up there, crucified, nails in his wrists and his feet, under intense pain, and suffering and torture, and then people were actively mocking him in that position and still persecuting him. And what was his cry to the father? Wipe him out? No. He cries out, the Bible says he cries out, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's a picture of the love of God. Number nine, Jesus doesn't gossip. He aggressively advertises the good in others. Aggressively advertises the good in others. Jesus calls out what we might not even be able to see in ourselves, but the image of God in each person. And he calls it out. Just like Nathaniel, when he came up to Jesus, Jesus never met him before. Nathaniel comes up. And when Philip came to Nathanael, he said, hey, Jesus of Nazareth, he's like, I think we found the Messiah. And he's like, Nazareth? Couldn't anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, but he says, anything good can come out of Nazareth? And then he shows up, and then Jesus sees Nathanael, and he says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He calls out what he sees in him. Peter comes to Jesus, and he says, you're not going to be called Simon Peter anymore. No, you're, you're Cephas, you're a rock. You're not just a reed that bends and is broken in the wind. No, you are my rock. And he calls out what he sees in Peter. He aggressively advertises the good in others. Number 10, he defends and holds people up. The woman caught in adultery. Everyone's ready to stone her. And Jesus says, uh, well, first, I just love this scene. He like, Soups down, writes something on the ground. Ah, just playing in the sand a little bit. Okay. Well, uh, let's see. He who is without sin, cast the first stone. Goes down and plays in the sand again, and then the guys are like, oh, shoot. <laughs> and they all leave. The oldest one's first, because they were smart. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, I, that's not me. <laughs> they all leave. Jesus stoops down to her, and he says, Hey, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, Lord. She says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He defends and holds people up. Number 11, he believes the best about others. The Roman centurion. And he's like, hey, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus says, I have not seen such great faith anywhere in Israel. And this was a Roman. He was the enemy, the oppressor. 
and Jesus believes the best about him. Matthew was a tax collector, and Jesus believed the best about him. Number 12, he never gives up on people, but affirms their future. He never gives up on people, but he affirms their future. When Peter had denied Jesus three times, he sat down with Peter. Peter, do you love me? He says, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Hey, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Then at this point, Peter's like, you know all things, God, and you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. He says, I'm affirming your future. I am affirming your future. I'm not giving up on you, but I'm affirming your future, Peter. And then number 13, he perseveres and remains loyal to the end. Jesus perseveres and remains loyal to the end. The Great Commission, one of the last things Jesus says, he says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will always be with you. This is just a small glimpse into the love of God. Man, how beautiful is that? How beautiful is God's love for us to full measure? And then Jesus goes on to present the absolute ultimate expression of love. John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this. And he laid down his life for his friend. And Jesus did that too. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then after all of that, he still waits for us to come to him with patience and he actually pursues us. And then when we finally get our act together and we come back to God after living our own way, he responds like the, prod- like the father and the prodigal son. He runs to us, falls on us, embraces us, kisses us and, and puts a party together. And then when we're with God, walking with him and we keep making mistakes and we keep failing and we keep missing the mark and not reaching the standard that we want to reach. His mercy is new every morning and his grace is sufficient. This is a picture of the love of God. Wow, that is huge. So big. And God wants us to understand this. He wants us to understand it, but also to own it, to take each one of those statements, those 13 statements, take them personally. You know how people say, don't take it personally? Do take it personally. (laughs) Take it personal, God's love for you. Take that personally and own it, that God has patience with my imperfections. God is actively active in doing good for me. Actively receive it from him by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So this is just the the measurable and knowable part of God's love. But there's a whole vast, massive amount of unknowability in God's love. And look at how Paul speaks to that. The second thing. So the first thing, grasping the full measure of God's love, 
understanding and owning that, taking it personally. And then number two, knowing this love that surpasses knowledge. To know the love that surpasses knowledge. How do we know beyond knowledge? Experience. Experience is how we know something beyond knowledge, beyond something that you can explain, right? Because when you experience something, there's just certain things you can't put into words. You know what I mean? Like how you felt when, you know, you had your first child or something. Like words fall short. Like you, you can't, there's nothing you can say, right? And so we can know the love of God that passes knowledge beyond something that we can put into words or learn from a book through experiencing his love, experiencing his presence. What's great is owning it over time leads to experiencing it. As we own the truth of God's love, as we meditate on the truth, these truths of God's love over time, then we begin to experience those truths because our faith increases and we believe that it's true. We believe. We don't just understand anymore. We believe this is true for me. And then we begin to experience the love of God. Um, you know, the word of God says that faith comes by hearing, right? And hearing by the word of God. Well, the more we hear, the more we meditate on the truth of God's love and the more we just go over it and own it in our, in our lives and take it personally, then we begin. It's like, it's like unlocking a door somehow. And I don't know how this all works. This is just God stuff. <laughs> but we, it's like we open this door and we begin to experience the very things that we're confessing and that we're meditating on and that we're believing. The more we believe how much God loves us, the more we welcome him into our lives and experience that love firsthand. And I know this is true because I've experienced it in my own life. This, this week, actually, Wednesday, um, is my sermon prep day. So I take Wednesdays and prepare for the message on Sunday. Well, I wasn't feeling great on Wednesday. I mean, I was feeling, that, that's like an understatement. I was feeling terrible like physically terrible, just like, uh, like, oh my gosh, I can't do this, God. I have, I have just, I got nothing. I got nothing. And so I began to meditate on this passage, began to study. And as I was going through those 13 things, as I was looking at them, I just got overwhelmed by the presence of God. And I just start bawling, sitting at my desk, just crying. I'm like, wow, this is true. Man, this is true. And it's amazing how many times we can go around the mountain and we, we forget. We just forget things, things that we've known. We've known our whole lives. But sometimes we just need that reminder and that was one of those moments for me. And I got to experience that love. And then I was, it was literally, I don't even know how to describe it. It was a night and day difference. Wept, prayed a little bit, wept some more. And then I was like, Katie can attest to this. Because how I left the house and how I came home was two completely different people. And it was like I was just a different person. It was like I was alive again. 
when we sit there and we meditate on the truth of his love, we begin to own it and we begin to experience. We welcome the fullness of Jesus to make his home in our personal hearts. So, and then he goes on in chapter three, verse 20, and he ends it with this. Now to him, Jesus, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do more and to love more than we can ask for, than we can know to ask for, and that even more than we can imagine. Like our imagination, even more than we can dream of his love, it's more than that. And he does it by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, his work, his, his power at work within us. What's, that's, what's great about that is we don't have to do this all on our own. <laughs> we don't have to understand the full measure of God's love and study into all of it to, to get it all in us. The Spirit of God comes in and he reveals the full measure of God's love. We don't have to try and take ownership of every little thing. The Spirit of God will come in and tell us and speak to our hearts. Romans 5.5 5 says that our hope does not disappoint because the Spirit of God pours out his love in our hearts as confirmation of our hope. And so the Spirit of God will come in just like that time when I was studying for this message. He came in without me inviting him. <laughs> And he poured out his love and he confirmed this to be true because his power at work within us. And so even when we're not meeting the mark, the Spirit of God will remind us of the full measure of Jesus' love. Isn't that awesome? So I want to close with this. We talked about um, how this is a prayer. It's another apostolic prayer of Paul, um, praying this over the church and speaking this over the church. And so I want to do that again. <laughs> Remember last time, Ephesians 1, we prayed that over each other. Uh, I want to pray this scripture over one another as well. And I want us to go home and take these 13 attributes of God's love and just speak them over our lives and speak them and speak them and take them personally and let God kind of knead them into the dough of our hearts. Does that sound good? Okay, so what we're gonna do is I think someone's got the cards. Who's got the cards? I got cards again. All right, awesome. Thank you guys. Can you guys go ahead and pass those out to everybody? We're gonna pass these out. So on this card, you will see on one side, the 13 from 13 list, okay? And it's already personalized. It's already personalized. Jesus has patience with my imperfections or whatever. So it's already personalized. You can speak those over your life. So it has that list. And on the back side, it has the prayer, another apostolic prayer that we can take home and we can speak and we can pray over each other. Uh, the last prayer that we had, I really hope you guys are continuing to pray for those two people. We said that we were going to ride on the other side of that. They didn't know Christ. We're going to continue to pray for them to encounter Jesus and come to know him and have faith in him. And so um, this is an opportunity for us to do that yet again and pray the scripture 
That's what's so great about these prayers. It's, it's all the word. So it's like a perfect prayer. We just pray in scripture. How awesome is that? And so um, we're going to take advantage of that and pray it over each other. Uh, so this is what we're going to do. Everyone just, if you could just stand up. Does everyone have a card? Make sure, raise your hand if you don't have a card. But go ahead and stand up. Stand to your feet. You can, yeah, you can go ahead and play something, Jeremy, if you want. Um, so this is what we're going to do. Um, can I get the prayer up on the screen here? There it is. It's, it's a little long. It's okay. It's the word. So this is what we're going to do. Just like we did last time, I want you to make sure uh, you know the names of the person on your right and your left. Okay? Make sure you know the names. Ask If you don't know, ask their name because you're going to pray. You're going to pray their name. We want to pray personally. Okay? And then I want you guys to stretch across the aisles. Stretch across the aisles. I know this is uncomfortable. We're going to do it again. And grab hands across the aisles. Grab hands. I know, I know. Some of you guys are like, please, why? You can put a hand on a shoulder, whatever, whatever you feel most comfortable with. Okay, all right, good. Oh, look at that. We are one. That's so great. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray this collectively together, uh, and you can just follow my pace. Okay, ready? We're going to start it with I pray. Pray. I pray that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen Jeremy with power through your spirit in their inner being so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. And I pray that they, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of your holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that they may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, man, that is awesome. And this is something that we can pray anytime we're in prayer. It's just another prayer. If you don't know what to pray for, just pull out this little card and just pray this over your family, over your friends. Amen. So we're going to close with a little time of worship. And I encourage you, like I said before, take that card home and just speak those person, take personal the love of God and his incredible love for you, the full measure. So let's, let's close with a time of worship. Justifies and grace tells of the Father's heart to make a way for us. No boldly we approach, not by earthly confidence, it's only by your blood. Yeah. 
expression of love. Oh God, your life poured out so that we might know you intimately and that you can make your home in our hearts. So Holy Spirit, we ask for grace and power, Lord, to invite you in and to make this house a home for your presence. Lord, we want to know the full measure of your incredible love for us. I pray for my brothers and sisters as they go into their weeks, Lord, tomorrow as they go into work, Lord God, I pray that these truths will ring true in their heart or they'll be reminded of how incredible your grace, your mercy, and your love is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome, guys. Thank you. Uh, we will see you guys next week. I'm looking forward to November 20th. Love you guys.